we've got a lot of buildings that could get connected and run better, faster, more efficiently. What prevents that is how much effort it takes to get that connectivity done. You're listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, real estate, and industry 4.0. And most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data that you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. This episode is sponsored by Iden PropTech OS. Iden PropTech OS is an operating system for property owners that unlocks all smart building benefits in a future-proof way. Used and supported by Microsoft Azure and Scandinavia's largest property developers. Stay tuned to discover more about them and why companies love this solution. Welcome to the Beyond Buildings podcast, and uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, semantic interoperability, ontologies, taxonomies, whatever these things mean. And we have with us the three perfect persons to figure this out for us. Joel, do you want to go first? Who are you, and how do you fit into this narrative? My name is Joel Bender. I'm a programmer, analyst, and architect with Cornell University. My claim to fame is to have been around the BACnet community since before it was called BACnet. So I was hired right out of college by Mike Newman, and he and I were working on a variety of I.O. drivers for our energy management and control system, which is what it was called at the time. This is IBM System 7 that had 32K of RAM and 1.5 meg 14-inch hard drive. That's the kind of era where I started. One of our big beefs was trying to get the protocol out of the controls companies that we were interested in installing equipment on campus, right? So everything was under non-disclosure, and we had to go through all manner of egregious problems because even when the company would give us the documentation on the protocol, it was wrong. Implemented the way the design spec said the protocol should be done, right? So Mike said, this is ridiculous. We ought to have a standard. And uh, after a short number of 13 years, we finally got it published as a standard. <laughs> and uh, I've been writing software for BACnet uh, ever since. You know, So uh, I've been involved in the BACnet community. I'm the official liaison for the BACnet website. And I run the BACnet mailing lists. And um, I try to answer people's questions in, in various forums, like LinkedIn and that kind of stuff. So the next mission for us at Cornell is to connect the building automation performance data to occupancy schedules and asset management, right? So we use Maximo for our asset management and work orders. And so we have all kinds of Maximo data. We have all kinds of student data coming in from Salesforce. We have all kinds of building schedules coming in from 25 Live. We have all kinds of facilities, occupancy, sort of like a room space data, like these are labs, these are high humidity labs, these are special purpose nanofabrication labs, right? So they have to be very carefully dried out and all of the part, you know, any kind of particle at all is huge when you're talking nano stuff. So we have a bunch of specialty places on campus and the intent is to figure out if we can coordinate this content in some kind of data lake. That's a great uh, presentation. <laughs> There's so much to build on. The first thing I think about is it's a seminal article from Steve Tom. And when he wrote this in 2004, 
about backing web services. Joel, thanks for being here. I think that's super interesting. Who want to go next? Terry, with Intelligation, I've been in the building automation world for about 30-ish years. Certainly before Backend was very popular. A lot of history there. In the last bunch of years, we've been focused a lot on what I would call master systems integration and deploying what I call Beyond BAS, which is just all of these extra tools and capabilities that are mostly cloud-based, but FDD, EIS, lots of um, additional processes that can be done once the BAS is connected to the cloud. In relation to this ontology conversation, when you compare us to the industrial world, we now have, I think, the, a very ubiquitous comm standard in BACnet. That puts us ahead of the industrial world where they're still struggling with lots of field buses. We've got Haystack and we've got Brick are the two that we sort of focus on. And now I know there's Google One and Real Estate Core. So, But I believe that we're moving in the right direction. And to me, that opens up. We have a standard field bus protocol and a standard modeling tagging. It just opens up a whole lot of potential that is pretty exciting. So basically easier to get data out because you have a standardized protocol and it's easier to make sense of the data because you have like tagging standards and all these kind of things. That's what you mean, right? Great way to summarize it. Yep. Perfect. Okay, great. Eric, you're next. Hi, Eric Wallen. I don't have exactly the same background as you other guys. I have a semantic background. I come from the academia initially and uh, has been working quite much with trying to figure out and bumped into the OWL specifications in the end of the last millennia then actually and figured out that this is really the tools that I can use. And then in parallel, I have always been interested in control system. And since I come from Europe, and BACnet is not a dominating standard here, it's definitely present. So I come from the KNX side. I'm quite uh, comfortable in KNX environments and Modbus environments. But with Joel's help, I've been starting to explore BACnet a little bit and more or less trying to do the mapping. But I also have this take on using semantic web or ontologies that is equivalent in this discussion. And that is that you really try need to have a very good purpose or even you could say a, a business purpose of why are we doing this standardization? Why are we doing this language? And that, in the end, ended up being the real estate core consortium. The real estate core actually has its roots more than 10 years back when I actually started together with my colleague Per Karlberg to start modeling our homes and then needed to start setting the standards because in my day work, I was doing ontologies and doing standardizations and also having this kind of focus of why are doing this. And I mean, that's the reason of real estate core, that you really need to have a standard for property owners. And you need to interact with Brick Schema and Haystack, which we do, and, and others, and all the BIM standards and all the things that you have there. But you really need to look from the operating of a facility of a property perspective. What you said, Eric, is very interesting, as in what are the jobs to be done, right? What is it that companies are trying to achieve instead of just talking first about technology, interoperability, these kind of things? What do you see? What is the sense of urgency? Is there a sense of urgency from the property owners, from the actual sort of like the ones that have the buildings? Is it there where it's coming from right now, post-COVID, during COVID? What are you seeing in this space? I can just say that when we started out Real Estate Core and actually named it Real Estate Core, the business perspective there was energy optimization, energy savings. That is the foundation of Real Estate Core. That is, of course, extremely important, but it's more or less a hygiene factor. But uh, especially now with the COVID, and we thought it should be a post-COVID 
it's presence analytics. That is the big thing. And the big benefit for property owners, that is that you could use your Schneider presence sensor that runs the ventilation, or or you can use the lightning systems uh, presence sensors. You can mix so many different sensors and you can use them without having to buy new things because the BMS or the BOSS system uh, equipment that are installed in the building, usually very high quality, and they have a maintenance processes compared to when you glue up IoT sensors. You know, when the batteries end out and they start falling down, you have didn't really think about who should be replacing them. So that is a little bit my take from a property owner's perspective. Use the BMS sensors for so many new business cases that you didn't know that exist before. That's later in how that works well with Real Estate Core. What do I mean, like Terry, Joel, do you agree? What do you see from the US? Here's what I'd like to dig in, because these two guys, I think, are deeper into ontologies and tagging and modeling than I am. And yet we're trying to actually do it today. We can start applying tags and models. So here's the idea. I recognize that final ontology and model is not complete. But I guess the question I have is, do we have enough? Can we get started? There's been a lot of talk, and I call it like tagging light. So we call it tagging, paystack tagging, uh, brick. We're sort of crossing over to brick now. And we recognize that even though the standards were not all agreeing on the model, isn't there enough? that we can start adding tags. We have a use case that says, look, and for us, it's FDD. FDD, for the most part, there's a lot of potential for that. And a lot of FDD software, if you apply a handful of tags, you can use it. If you apply a handful of Haystack tags, there's a number of software packages that can consume that today. Isn't that good enough for now? And then we can add sophistication and additional modeling and tagging later down the road. Since we have these naming conventions and we've been really good, I think we have a couple of people that are dedicated to enforcing them. We're in a much better position because those naming conventions are directly related to content labels that are for the thing. So if we have a supply temperature, then then we know based on that name exactly what other kinds of tags might be associated with it. Are you familiar with the Utah tagging standard? I am. That's a great one. And also the GSA one. Have you seen that one? They're similar. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So the point is, I call it the big red hairy dog problem. (laughs) Right. So you have a set of overlapping taxonomies that describe each of the components of what you have. Right. You have big and small, red and green, hairy and bald and cat and dog. And then what you do is you start to combine those. Now that works okay as long as you know what the domain is going to be. But the problem is what one person calls a supply temperature might be called something else. So tagging by itself doesn't quite give you enough to be able to extract the content that you're looking for. I'm looking to line up these particular properties of these equipment with my fault detection models. So I need to be able to make sure that I know exactly what those properties are And the labels for those properties are put into the context of the system itself. I think this is the problem with semantic engineering, is that how free should you be and how prescriptive should you be? And this balance, and I can't really say what, you have to feel yourself forward in some sense, and I mean really try it in the real life. And semantic engineering is like a language, it evolves. When you're listening to movies from the 50s, they speak really funny in those movies to compare to today. And I really, what we're really trying to strive to find is what, how can we find just the cores, the bare essence, and then trying to allow for dialects. That is much of, uh, because you will have them. <laughs> you can't fight it. You will always have them. 
isn't that a problem to have dialects? Like I'm thinking you don't want dialects, that you want to confine it as tightly as you can so that all the applications can understand the same thing, no? That's the holy grail. I totally agree with you. But you know, one concept in the semantic world is when you're talking about top domain ontologies and you can have more specific domain ontologies. And that is a concept that we've been trying to use as much as possible and also make delimitations, narrow the scope, prune the ontology all the time and say that we will not solve that. We will not be able to make a perfect map of the world. With your hairy dogs, you have this kind of different approaches. In artificial life, you were talking about the world is the map. How does insect work? But I think that you need to be a little bit prescriptive. Otherwise, you will end up in this completely different language. Going back to backnets, wasn't that one of their like dialect problem? That it wasn't prescriptive enough? I have heard that from time to time from people. That someone like uses backnet and then they use it in some kind of way. So even if it's open... It's so like open to our interpretation, which is like if you're looking at KNX, it's very strict. If you're looking at Modbus with their tag lists, it's sort of like going back to what you said before, Joel, as in you go into something, some vendor or whatever has used it in some way, shape or form that is specific to them. What you ask in Terry is like, what is sort of like the bare minimum of getting started? Is that enough? You got Haystack, you got Brick, aren't those two enough? And also, what are the differences? I would like to ask Joel to follow up on your conversation about BACnet. I do think that BACnet is pretty good now. It used to be manufacturers implementing it in some unique way, but I think PTL listing, and I think that's really come a long way. And we see BACnet interoperability, and we live this every day, pretty damn good, right? There's some OEMs every now and then that do it badly, but all the big OEMs of equipment and controllers, I think the interoperability of BACnet is dramatically better than it was a decade ago, and almost pretty much arrived. That's, that's my view. And Joel can comment on that. Secondly, can we do different levels of tagging or modeling? Can we just say, hey, this is level one, and here's the standard, and very prescriptive. Let's just get that started. And then the more sophisticated that you have to get, you know, let's do that down the road when the software can actually use it and there's a use case, right? Right now, basic software can use some basic tags. You're exactly correct. BACnet is better now because of the BACnet testing labs and certification, right? So the depth of BACnet products is now to the point where customers can say, you have to have a BTL listed product before we're going to allow you to come onto our particular site, right? That makes a huge difference, right? Because now all of a sudden, the manufacturer is not like, oh, I have to do M1 and BACnet or Modbus and BACnet, and I don't know what the customer is going to want when he comes in, right? In our design and construction standards, it says you will speak BACnet unless you are a utility meter, in which case you will speak Modbus, and that's it, right? So all of the rest of the 11 different protocols that we've had to deal with over the last 30 years are all gone. We've finally replaced all that equipment. So that's key. The other point is that when Haystack started gaining steam, the BACnet committee said, what we want to be able to do is make sure that we can exchange these tag sets between devices and that devices can come with tag sets embedded in them, right? So if I buy a VAV box, then I know what kind of points I'm going to get because that's in my design and construction standards, because I know what kinds of sensors and what kinds of alarms I'm going to require out of this particular VAV box. And then 
is there a mechanism that we can use to create tags that come out of these things that are associated with the points that help describe them more since people have given up on naming conventions, right? There's nothing about a tag that doesn't provide anything more or less than what really good naming conventions provide. But naming conventions are within a particular family, and they're going to change from installation to installation. You have to work very closely with your installers or your controls companies to enforce your naming conventions. And we'll also have to do that for tagging. Now, one of the things that the BACnet committee is dealing with is more than other kinds of companies that have bought into the Project Haystack style. Right? Because there have been enough studies of saying that Project Haystack is really good for finding things like what you look through a Twitter feed, right? In other words, I want to find things that are that have this tag and this tag and not this tag, and right? But that's not quite enough search power to be able to drive the kinds of applications that we want to pull out of this data, right? And it also, until relatively recently, has had a very limited relationship model. So the understanding of what comes and goes out of these pieces of equipment, right, is if I have a failure in my VAV box, is it actually because of the air handlers down? That kind of stuff. So the point in ASHRAE 223 is to help synchronize the brick style models that are heavy OWL and heavy RDF with the haystack models that are more community language driven. ASHRAE 223 is tasked with coordinating these models and delivering that content over BACnet. So my take on that is to use the tagging functionality that is already in BACnet, because BACnet objects already have a tags property that's in a set of name value pairs, Okay, reinterpret those as an RDF model. And then you have now taken all of the things that you've delivered over BACnet, and you can put them into your enterprise knowledge graph and build all kinds of things out of, right? So the question is, not only can you build all kinds of things, but for people that like Haystack tagging, they can use the Haystack namespace and bring in their stuff, and that's no problem. And if they want to use Brick, they can use their much more explicit class names for particular things, right? In other words, they, they actually spell out big red hairy dog as opposed to having four big red hairy dog tags. So you can use those. And underneath that should be a model that describes the way you use those tags in a particular context. So if you have a VAV box, then there is an underlying model that is the core that both of those things want to address. They want, they want to look at properties that are out of that VAV box, but the VAV box itself has a pattern of content that should also be available. So let's start out with guideline 36. Let's start out with a series of individual components that get commonly put together into larger systems that have really good sequences of operations tied to them. Let's model it as RDF. Let's create an underlying structure of the relationship that you see as a functional diagram of the way these HVAC systems work so that you have a foundation to say, this is the way I'm going to tag this particular property, right? So not only do I have the idea that everybody carries around in their head of what the VAV box discharge air temperature is, but I can describe that at a specific spot in the model. And that is the thing that is going to, for me, provide semantic interoperability because the model itself is like physics, 
right? That's not going to change. The language that people use to describe those components is going to change because we're not all English. The way that you describe these things is going to work itself differently in different kinds of contexts, but you should have the same underlying patterns. One thing I want to ask you, though, on BACnet and properties, like currently, is there a BACnet property for adding tags? It's been here for about two years, but it has not been implemented because nobody could agree on what the tags actually should be. The two flavors are, should ASHRAE define its own set of tags to make sure that everybody uses the same term, or should we leave that up to somebody else, right? Or should ASHRAE just say, by the way, we are going to adopt Project Haystack tags? I definitely vote for being quite restrictive because in semantic worlds, you need to have controlled vocabularies. You have to agree of that it's temperature and it's spelled exactly like that, nothing else. If you don't have that, this is the approach from the real estate core perspective is that we have these controlled vocabularies and many times we have been importing them from bricks, from brick schema, and then we allow for extensions. And the way that we work when evolving the ontology is that if you are making an extension because you see missing, you need to have some more words in your language in order to do your business. And then we are encouraging people, but hey, post it back to GitHub. Then everyone can have a say. And then if this is, sounds, is a good idea, then in the next release, it will be part of the official real estate core. We're just extending the vocabulary. I like this idea of how do we get somebody to be prescriptive There's a new project, like an open source project, to be very prescriptive about how you use Haystack and Brick. If we can do that prescriptive layer at a, at least at the basic, what I'll call tagging light layer, get very prescriptive about it, and then we all adhere to it. Is that what Real Estate Core is trying to do, is get that consortium together to say, here's the prescription? Yeah, here's the prescription. And we also don't only do the ontology, the schema, but also the APIs. So that means that you actually can use it. Otherwise, you can do whatever APIs you would like, and then you would still have 10 different implementations of it. We have just started an official certification, and we have four organizations that can certify now just in order to get this kind of rubber stamp, or I mean, this little sticker that says real estate core certified. I think that is definitely needed. Here's more from the Beyond Building sponsor, Idenproptic OS. Idenproptic OS is powered by the data mapping capabilities of the open source semantic language Real Estate Core, which unlocks a host of smart building benefits. By leveraging the potential of existing building data, owners can facilitate better building utilization, new customer services, and more efficient building communications. Idenproptic OS is free from reliance on proprietary systems. It connects smart buildings to a shared development marketplace, new services, and possibilities on a far larger scale, including the latest energy, certification, utilization, and communication applications. If you want to scale into the future and have a platform to go beyond buildings, then PropTech OS is something for you. Find out more at idenrealestate.com. If we sort of like take it back a notch, so the intent is then to go into buildings, Let's say you have BACnet IP, and then you have sort of like standardized in some way, shape, or form. You've used then uh, some maybe Haystack, some brick tagging function is now there. Then you use Real Estate Core. And then what you want to do is to get value from the data that is in the buildings. You want to understand the relationships between all the points. You want to understand where everything is. And to be able to do that as fast as humanly possible. 
and then get it to an API and then get it into whatever FTD, advanced analytics, these kind of things to be able to create value as much as possible, as fast as possible in a standardized way. That is the intent of everything that has been said so far. Is that a sort of fair assessment? Yeah, yeah. I'll second that. The problem that's frustrating for us, right, is that we've, you've got Ashray, you've got Brick, you've got, Brick, you've got Real Estate Core. I keep saying, you remember, Joel, two years ago when, when Ashray put something out that Ashray and Haystack and Brick were all going to work together, yep. yeah. have one standard, and that never went anywhere. Now we have three more people to put together. That's actually not true. So we have been meeting a lot in the last two years on building what this model is. There hasn't been any public review of what the committee has been doing, but we've been meeting very frequently. The people that are part of ASHRAE in terms of, of building a consortium is sort of like it's already there for us. As ASHRAE said, we want to be able to put the standard together. We had 60, 70 people that all showed up and they're all diagnostics companies and they're controls companies and they're all kinds. And they're like, yes, absolutely. We would be more than delighted to. My view of ASHRAE is this. They're really sharp folks and they do great work. It just takes them too damn long to do anything. How do you get it done faster? Not having as many different ways of doing something. As soon as you have this sort of domain that people want to be able to work in, they carve out little chunks of that domain. And they say, this is the kind of thing where we want to work. And this is the kind of thing where we want to work. And as soon as you do that, then you have lots of pretty big names and pretty big companies going, well, you know, what is it that we can do to cooperate together? And it's a hard process. And that's why BACnet took so long in the first place. We not only had people that wanted to be able to cooperate and exchange data, we had completely different levels of technical expertise on how to put that together. There were people that say, why do we need BACnet when we have ASCII? And then there was a number of companies that did not want BACnet at all because they wanted to be able to lock in their customers. I don't get any impression from the brick or haystack communities that they think that they're going to be the be-all and end-all. But they are definitely carving out for themselves little sections of, of, of how well they can put something together. An ASHRAE person, especially from Cornell, right? I don't have a product to sell. I don't have a platform to sell. All I want is for people to communicate. And for stuff to communicate as well, I guess. I think that we can probably get there and get there relatively soon. So the original part of the 223 was called the Application Profiles Working Group, AP Working Group. And that was designed to say that here is a particular HVAC application, and here is all of its inputs and outputs that it needs to be able to do that, okay? That process went on for 15, 20 years, and they could not agree on what it meant to be an application. So this is not a new problem, but what's new is that Project Haystack came in and said, you know what, we can't necessarily do everything, but here's 80% of what you can do right now. And you can solve a lot of really important problems right now. And the fact that there is some inconsistencies and the fact that there's no rules about what kinds of tags can go together and what kinds can, right? That's the difference between Haystack and Brick. Brick is based on an OWL model, which is very prescriptive about what can and cannot be used simultaneously. Eric, this is Q where you come in more or less as well, I think. Again, you have been designated as the digital twin data language for Azure cloud digital twins for smart buildings at the moment. We have been taking extremely much inspiration from Haystack. I did this mapping. 
our philosophy is that we can't convince the world to start speaking real estate Korean. We will have so many different languages. So when you have semantic web toolings, when you have our language, you can do alignment files so machines can understand. I know, Joel, we started out we should complete the official backnet to real estate core. And we have done that with uh, the Gabe Ferrero on the brick schema. And also when it comes from a property owner's perspective, again, we have done this with the building topology ontology, the WD3C group. I don't know if I could call it IFC 2.0. That's probably what they're doing. And I think it's the best people in the game that's there when it comes to doing IFC. That's the place to go. Seeing this as we can't convince everyone to start speaking our language, but use that. We don't have that kind of granularity as Haystack has. Again, Real Estate Core is not for building SCADA system. It's for a property owner to take like 10% of the data from the BACnet system. That's interesting for a property owner. They don't want to be able to go in and tune the PID curves or the algorithms or whatever. That is for HVAC professionals to do. Yes, and the idea that there are multiple ontologies mean that they exist in layers. And there is no reason why they can't coexist. And there are some pretty good rules of the way that you can take one particular, right? Because everybody is using essentially different words to go after the same concept, right? So as soon as you have a mental concept of what that is, how do you serialize that? How do you exchange that description with other people that are going to be using that same serialization? So for us, RDF is going to be perfect because people have their own namespaces. They can extend it however they would like. We can cooperate with the rest of the world. We, as part of ASHRAE, focused on HVAC, don't necessarily have to interface much with the building topology ontology, except for the idea that this is what is being delivered to a space. What the space is, how the space is constructed, right? that's sort of out of our scope. In our world, it is the building's controls components and how they communicate to each other algorithmically, right? Like the VAV box is calling for heat from the air conditioner or from the air handling unit, right? How do they relate to each other? And that is definitely not something that I would think a real estate professional would care about. (laughs) Exactly. I think this is great, right? But I think the problem is that it's so tough to understand where the layers are. What goes where, especially also, what is it going to be in five years? Because I think like one of the biggest problems with this is like the classic IoT problem. We look around, we see that, okay, we don't find the communication platform that is good for us, so we're going to create something new. And it just like adds to this over and over again. How do we make this easier for people that are either new to the business or that are not this sort of nerdy like us? In Eric's case, this concept of layers where Joel and I are talking about BAS as mechanical systems, and that is very haystack and brick-ish, I believe. And Eric's at a level above that where you're talking about maybe occupant stuff. Energy, indoor climate energy. This idea of layers, to me, to get functionality out of a standard tagging is at least get some groups to focus on those individual layers that are specific at us. So in the U.S., I get that right now I'm leaning on ASHRAE ideally to, if they can sort of create this, again, brick ASHRAE combination, that, okay, here's, make it prescriptive enough that guys like us who want to tag and make the tags interoperable across many applications can start to do that now, right? And we can add tags later and we can add a couple of ones if there's nothing out there that fits, we can add those. But at least here is a very prescriptive layer at this BAS and mechanical equipment layer that is very prescriptive. 
and would work for application builders, right? So all these MDD guys, EIS guys can start building to it because it's standardized enough, right? They can make their software work. So we do tag. We have a middleware layer that we promote, Voltron, which is Joel has a piece of that Voltron piece. We don't want owners to apply applications end-to-end because that's the same problem BAS has had. We want the application to be extracted away from the data acquisition and tagging layer. So that lives alone, and they you just plug in any application that you want. The owner can say, I like this product now and this product next. Yeah, so like basically the building as a computer, and then it works on its own local control first. And then if you want to install something or uninstall something, they should have the ability to do that, which is not necessarily the case today, obviously, with vendor lock-ins and these kind of things. Like an app store kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. These vendors don't necessarily like that idea. No. You said something in the beginning as in, what is the use case? What is the business case? So if we would have like a business case here, whatever that could be from like the ones owning the buildings or from the tenant perspective, and then we could actually create a use case and then go back and just look at it. Okay, here is brick, here is haystack, here is um, real estate core, and looking at it from a use case perspective. I think that would help a lot. Instead of, you know, like just looking at the separate parts of technology, discussing them and how they differ, instead of looking at the use case and see, okay, this is the starting point. This is where we're going to need to, this is what needs to happen. These are the components. I can see it sort of after this discussion, but I haven't seen it in anywhere else, to be honest, where we talk about these things. Maybe you have. Here's our use case. If you look at in the U.S., which I can speak about, right, the level of what I'll call beyond BAS, all these cool application tools that run in the cloud, we're probably at a less than 10% saturation rate. We've got a lot of buildings that could get connected and run better, faster, more efficiently. What prevents that is how much effort it takes to get that connectivity done, to get the applications connected and working. When I say FDD, EIS, additional graphics. There's all kinds of applications that are out there now, right? There's a ton. Just in the FDD world, there's probably 40 or 50 applications. And they've all done their own modeling over the years. I think they're all moving now to more of a haystack-ish, brick-ish standard. But if you can connect those buildings, which we do every day, we connect buildings every day, and then we add tags, and then we always use a FDD tool and an EIS tool. Those are oftentimes together now. FDD and EIS are pretty much merged. FDD is fault detection and diagnostics. Lots of product in that space. EIS, energy information system. So I look at the sort of BAS has been around for a very long time, right? Building automation. It's doing graphics, basic alarming, trending, scheduling. EIS and BAS traditionally didn't really look at meter data very well. That's changing. But then you have an EIS. Now you have you want to bring the meter data into this structure. That's the EIS. FDD now is you want to run additional alarming on steroids, right? It's just much more sophisticated algorithms that you can run. And then ASO, the, the last acronym, right? Automatic system optimization. That's to me the least deployed technology where, again, you would use these tags and consume this data to run supervisory algorithms that are doing optimal start, temperature, pressure, resets, ASHRAE guideline 36 advanced control schemes. But all those applications, EIS, FDD, ASO, if you create this middleware layer, you get the data acquisition, you tag it, all those applications plug in and run, boom. Thousands of buildings in the US, right, get 
running optimally in short order. Onboard buildings as fast as possible, getting them ready for all the other stuff. You just plug and play, and then you have like a smart building in five minutes, 10 minutes maximum, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but Eric, isn't that what like you do also with real estate core, as in onboard buildings faster, right? That is the, the world is the map. You exactly have, this is about breaking the full stack technical solutions, because that is what you get. Even if it resides in the clouds, it's still like a usually proprietary full stack tech solutions. But this is why it's also so important to not only have the common language, as we're talking about now, but it's also important to have the traffic rules for the roads, for the APIs. So that's why the real estate core is bundled, the ontology and the API, because then you can actually do this, what you're talking about. And now you're talking just about technical applications. Again, those are, of course, interesting for a property owner, but there's so much more very, very lucrative things that you can do with your data in the buildings if you are a property owner to try to understand the usage. And you can have new business model for how you actually charge for the lease for the building, depending on how much you are, are using it with data that already resides in KNX, BACnet systems, etc. That is the roots of the real estate core. And it helps you to guide you on what parts should you actually model and what parts should we leave to Brick Schema and Haystack. So real estate core is mapped to these technologies and you have official alignments because, hey, you are the expert on that turf, guys. And we only need like 10% of the sensors and actuators. We don't need all the detailed, intricate details of everything in an air handling machine, but we definitely need the temperature of the air going out and the return temperature and some other little parts. And how much energy does the ventilation fan take? That is really interesting. I think Eric's comment about the API is actually important. I agree with you. This middleware layer I'm talking about, obviously, like we did create a, a Haystack API because right now that's the only standard that I'm aware of, a Haystack-like API to our database of all that data with the tags. And create value from a standardized API. Absolutely. And honestly, the goal is not to have a proprietary system. The whole point for us of Voltron, and Voltron can use almost any database, is that that layer is not proprietary, it's open source. And it's completely free from any SaaS pricing. Yeah, for us, since we're going to be moving into RDF, the W3C has already created an API for us, right? I mean, between Sparkle and Shackle and the rest of the query languages, you can get some really sophisticated stuff out of the model. If we get everything into one RDF, essentially data lake, then we can do all kinds of things that are completely independent of the building automation that are specific to Cornell. So we already have our assets and we already have the asset relationships to our BAS, but it's just not as stable or as easy to get to as it should be. If you're looking from the business perspective, then you will get the funds and you will get the buy-ins from everyone. I think that is the key that we see in Real Estate Core. And Real Estate Core is open source and it's in like a non-profit organization. You have to think internet standards. How did the internet standards evolve? I think that's important. Thank you very much, Nicholas. Thank you. Terry, any final words? No, this has been great. I appreciate you putting this together. I've learned quite a bit too. So we just keep pushing forward, right? Yeah. And Terry, you should join the group, right? No more complaining, no more standing on the way. You have to send someone from Intellivation in these groups so that you can uh, do these kind of things. Joel, what do you say? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to see something move, then you got to get in and push, right? Join. And uh, sniping from the outside is okay. <laughs> but now we know you. <laughs> <laughs> no, awesome. I think it's been fantastic. Thanks so much for joining. It's been a lot of fun. 
think like it's really worthwhile to do this. And I think like definitely going to take you up on that, Eric, as in the next conversation is going to be about the business case. Because now we have this foundation, it's going to take 10 minutes to get data out of buildings, it's going to be super easy. But what do people want to do with the data, right? What are the business cases that are going to drive this forward into adoption? So thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. This episode is sponsored by Iden Proptic OS, the operating system for building owners. Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. And if you like this episode, make sure to tune in to the next one and also see if other episodes could be something for you. Your host, the master of the metaverse, Nicholas Wern.